Oh, it's the brown Welcome to Vocalscope, the podcast with a voice. This episode of Vocalscope is sponsored by The Accompanist. Beautiful accompaniments played by the Guildhall-trained pianist Adam Bridges on his marvel of a grand piano. With a huge library of stunning tracks available online at theaccompanist.co.uk and the ability to make tailor-made cuts and arrangements just for you, lucky Vocalscope listeners can use the code VOCALSCOPE, all one word, at checkout to receive a very generous 25% discount. Thank you to theaccompanist.co.uk for sponsoring this episode. And now, on with the show. The COVID era has had a devastating impact on the arts, and an area that has been most challenging is where those of us who would normally teach or learn through face-to-face voice, singing or music classes, for those of us who sing in or lead choirs, we've all been particularly affected throughout the pandemic due to singing or any projected voice quality being deemed a high-risk activity. Largely, we've not been allowed to sing together, to practice together, to train, to perform. And you can learn more about some of the reasons behind that in episode 10, where I interviewed Declan Costello about the research into aerosol particles and the transmission of COVID through projected voice use. But today's guest has been instrumental in exploring a solution and he has been at the forefront of understanding how we can use technology to make lagless, real-time online music making a reality, transforming and making accessible something we previously thought of and even may currently think of as impossible. Zoom is all good and well, and it has its uses, but it is absolutely useless when two or more singers or musicians want to collaborate simultaneously in real time. And this is generally because my internet speed and the equipment I use will run at a different speed latency than yours. And therefore, what we both hear or perceive lag will always be out of sync. What COVID has done is provided us with an enormous challenge. How can we make music online, in real time, with no perceptible delay. Dr. Ian Howell, Professor of Voice and Vocal Pedagogy at the New England Conservatory of Music, has set about finding the answers. Ian, welcome to Vocalscope. Hi, Juliet. Thanks so much for having me. You're very, very welcome. In pre-pandemic, you worked near exclusively in singing voice perception and research in general voice pedagogy education, working in applied voice and Baroque style and interpretation. But at the dawn of the COVID era, your research agenda pivoted (laughs) 360 (laughs) to audio and video quality and latency over the commercial internet. And as a result, it is now possible to teach online in real time. So Take us back to the time when you realised that this needed researching. Where, where were we in the trajectory of the pandemic? And explain to us, without this move forwards in adopting this technology, what was the predictable immediate future 
of music making and, and what issues were you confronted by and faced with and, and how did you discover what looked like it might be the solution? Whew, that's a good question. Um, so first of all, thanks so much for having me on. Super excited to get a chance to communicate with your audience and um, just really looking forward to this discussion. Um, I, I think there's kind of two broad kinds of answers to your questions and, and they fit into like the big picture philosophical things we were all forced to deal with. And then there's um, just like the basic nuts and bolts of how do we not even figure out like this piece of equipment versus this piece of equipment, this piece of software versus this piece of software, but just sort of the, um, I kind of want to call it the social engineering challenges. Like, you know, how do we convince people to be open to a new idea? Or how do we convince people, um, if I'm being brutally honest, I'm, I'm not sure what life's been like in, in the UK, but in the United States of America, at least, you know, how do we convince people um, that this is going to go on long enough that it is worth their time to learn something new, right? Um, so, you know, to the first challenge, yes, I, in February, I did all of those things, and my God, I miss them all desperately, and I cannot wait until I can stop doing this. <laughs> so I can just say yeah. that, first of all, right? Mm. Um, and selfishly, all of the work that I have done and I, I should say, out of the gate, there is a community of people around me, equally driven, working equally hard, and, and hopefully we'll get a, a chance to, to talk about some of their work today as well. Um, you know, the, the impetus for all of, you know, this, this excursion that we've taken into low latency audio and to an extent low latency video tech is in service of getting us back to those things that we desperately miss, right? Um, I think, first of all, we were all kind of, we were unmoored, right? We, we were all mm -hmm. flung into, into March. And for the U.S., March 13th is like the big day that we have marked with a skull and crossbones on our calendars because that's, that's, that was like the Friday before spring break for most universities. And, and so I think even schools that were aware that they were going to have to shut down their physical campuses, their physical facilities, and send everybody back home. Um, the logistical nightmare of clearing out a college dormitory, I think, made it make sense to have everybody leaving for spring break be when everybody left anyway. Mm. Um, and so f March 13th was the Friday before spring break started for most schools. So that, that basically is the day that everything shut down. And, you know, some schools, they extended spring break by a week. Like we had this little interregnum where we were like, okay, what are we going to do now? <laughs> like th this is the, this is the moment when all time stops because nobody had daycare figured out. Nobody had, you know, childcare or what their kids were going to do for school. Like every, everything was just completely up in the air. And, um, in, in that time, um, a group of us, basically, we were observing people within our broader music education community trying to come to grips with how they were going to deal with this just on a practical level how am i going to teach lessons on a practical level and so we would see you know endless conversations on facebook 
groups and Facebook message boards, basically people would say like, well, I use FaceTime and FaceTime is great. Or I use Skype and Skype is the best. You know, my school wants me to decide between Cisco, WebEx, and Zoom, which is better. You know, and, and there was no end of opinions. Like, people had a lot, like, ready to share their perspectives yeah. on what is best and what we should all be doing. And, um, you know, I, I think this is, I think there's a lot wrong with academia. Um, I think two things that academia gets right is, one, a desire to study things thoroughly and to a desire to freely share information when you have it. Mm. And um, so, you know, myself and a number of my colleagues within the academy all over the U.S., we basically set about just asking ourselves, like, okay, what, what are the actual questions we need to ask first? What needs to be studied, right? R rather than saying, well, the weight of... The weight of opinion seems to be that FaceTime is better than Skype, right? That's not an interesting question. Actually, the interesting question is, well, if we set up a controlled experiment and actually pipe the exact same sounds through at the exact same intensity for the exact same duration through as many platforms as people are using, like, what is the objective outcome, right? So, so then it takes people out of this experience where they only know what they know and hopefully welcomes them into... A more comprehensive understanding of, of what's available and so that was the first thing we did we, we published on march 25th so it took us like 13 days or something uh to get this paper out where wow. we compared like four of the the big platforms that people within the voice community were using the video conferencing platforms ju just to look at the question of what is the actual qualitative difference now this being the year that will not end like it being <laughs> december now right it, it, Many of these platforms have different algorithms at this point, right? So I'm not, don't go read my March paper, right? It's, not, it's just not worth it to read at this point because it's outdated. But the, the philosophical approach is the same, which was basically like, we need to be led by values. Our values say that audio quality matters, despite the fact that other people have been making other solutions work, we're interested in actually what is the best solution, not what is the solution that is best out of the ones that, you know, person X or Y off the street is aware exists. Mm. Um, the next thing we started basically looking at is kind of a, a definition of our values. Like in my mind, that's what came out of that original process was we, we need to be able to articulate exactly what it is we want and in a prioritized order because we're not going to get it all. Mm -hmm. And so what what we arrived at is essentially for music lessons, and I, I think a really easy argument can be made that this is what is most important for music lessons. If we were running a dance conservatory, we'd have a different set of priorities, right? But we're musicians. So I think audio quality and fidelity to the sound in the room is is primary. Yeah. Second is latency of the audio transmission. Mm -hmm. um, third is video latency and fourth is video quality so again if we were a dance school we'd probably invert that list right it would be like sure. video latency video quality audio quality audio latency mm -hmm. maybe i don't know mm -hmm. I, i'll talk to some dancers and see what they say <laughs> um and and essentially once we had that we we had a razor that we could apply to the problem and so then we just started looking for solutions that addressed these needs and pretty quickly like you and i are using clean feed 
The music education world didn't know about clean feet in February, right? We'd like nobody, even the people who were teaching online lessons constantly did not know about clean feet in February, right? Or, or if they did, they weren't the ones going online to talk about it. Um, and so we came up with a set of solutions which strongly informed a portion of a summer uh, workshop that I taught through uh, New England Conservatory. So then the next thing we started looking at is, is platforms like CleanFeed, um, platforms like Source Connect Now, um, platforms like that that essentially were, were set up for a different implementation. The people that designed them, they weren't marketing to or thinking about the music or voice community necessarily. I think mostly they were thinking about like radio interviews, right? That's what CleanFeed's actually designed for, is for you to be able to, to work at a radio station and, and not have to put in some sort of like fancy ISDN line in order to to do your your high quality audio connections to remote um, remote people, which is like hilarious because I watch I watch evening news because I'm like a politics junkie, and um <laughs> oh my god they use the most terrible transmission platforms. <laughs> like, <laughs> you watch CNN or MSNBC or something, it's like everybody's coming in on Zoom, like fa famous people, and they're clearly on Wi-Fi with like Bluetooth headset. Anyway, that <laughs> that's another that's another issue. But seriously, call me, news directors. I know, I was just going to say. <laughs> we could fix this. There's a lot of consultation that could yeah, be done there. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot left undone, that's for sure. Um, but even just starting to to switch over to an awareness that like those kinds of platforms existed. So if, if you can articulate your values, it's like, oh, my value is I, I don't want to be the teacher where I'm like, you know, I can really listen past the algorithm of Zoom. Right. I don't want to do that. I, I want to have full spectrum quality. I want to I want to have as much of the experience be what it was before. And it's not hard and it's not expensive. Right. So it, to me, it's a no brainer. Um, we moved from that to starting to look at video transmission solutions that were faster than Zoom. So like you and I are enjoying one another's company on Live Lab right now. And Live Lab is probably, I don't know, it's probably a third the video latency of Zoom. And it is um, probably a, about a third the bandwidth footprint as Amazing. Zoom. Right? Yeah. And, and it's, you know, there's some stuff it doesn't do that Zoom does do. Uh, so if you are in love with Zoom for those reasons, I think there's compelling reasons to use Zoom at this point. Mm. Um, but just being aware that something like Live Lab exists being aware that something like Jitsi Meet exists, being aware that Source Connect Meet exists. Like there are, are these video platforms that just use a, a direct connection peer-to-peer -peer architecture mm -hmm. rather than a server-based sort of everybody sends their data up to a, a common server computer and then the server literally serves the data back to people, right? Um, there, there are these platforms that just by their design, they're faster. Um, where stuff started getting really interesting and actually I... I stumbled upon this kind of from two directions. I think I personally did not take the potential of low latency audio, which, and when I say low latency, I guess I, sh I should be specific where to mean like lagless, which is to say the, the transmission of the data is so fast that it is effectively equivalent to the amount of time it would take for a sound wave to propagate in a room that you might make music in. Right. Yeah. So if you're if the the transit time is low enough, if the if it is fast enough in terms of how the data gets from my microphone to your headphones, um, then it's essentially equivalent to you and I being in a reasonably sized room where we might collaborate musically anyway.
Great. And, and what's, w how many milliseconds we, are we talking there? 30, 30? Yeah, it depends. Five? I guess I'll say. So if you're doing like Palestrina or Feldman or something, <laughs> like you can get away with, with higher, uh, with higher delays because it doesn't matter as much. If you're talking about doing like up-tempo bebop, all of a sudden it really starts to matter. Mm. Um, so we, we have this number that we throw out a lot and I'll say it, right? So I'll say 20 milliseconds. Okay. Um, that doesn't mean that 20 milliseconds is ideal for every mm. type of music making. It doesn't mean that 30 milliseconds doesn't work for a different type of music making, right? Mm -hmm. So a little bit, it depends on the speed and it depends on your own facility with interacting with and engaging and sort of using mm. the low latency tech. And, and just as an aside, like I, I, when I was performing, I used to sing uh, with a lot of orchestras, both Baroque and, and modern. And, and any singer out there listening who's, you know, been the soloist with a large orchestra, like you, you know that even though orchestras can, you know, string instruments can have a variety of attack qualities like a variety of onsets of the sound um most of the time if you're with an orchestra that's like a pickup gig and everyone's a little tired and it's like oh god i'm gonna do messiah again right um like m most orchestra onsets are like uh, like that right mm. they're not like they don't do that um and so as a professional singer that like this is something that isn't really taught necessarily in school but it's something you come to realize is important when you're standing in front of an orchestra like all of your sounds are actually ahead of the bloom of the mm. of the ensemble itself, mm -hmm. right? Um, and and I think there's there's other ways to think about that as well. Like the ride symbol of a jazz drummer always has a driving forward falling sense to it. It's like there. This is one of these unspoken things that if you're as you become competent as a performer mm -hmm. and move into the professional world, you you realize you wish somebody had told you, but then you think about it and it's like, well, that would have been impossible to explain. You just have to sure. experience yeah. what yeah. it is to like define your own time, time. Yeah. right? And, mm. and have it meld with other people also defining their own time rather than waiting for one another. Mm. Um, so there, there are even, you know, ways in which if you have slightly non-ideal latency with somebody that you're connecting with let's say you're up to 26 or 27 milliseconds which is where i really start to notice it for most of the music that i that i coach with my students yeah. um even that has a, a weird familiar familiar feel to it yes. in terms of like what it is to actually make music so i yeah. think that we can have this number in mind we can be like well if you're 20 milliseconds or lower you're great and like that's not true yeah um yeah. if you're at about 20 milliseconds probably you'll be fine for almost everything you do mm -hmm. um but there's just a lot of wiggle room around that number and a lot of getting used to the feel of a sound that is either a little bit behind where you expect it to be, or honestly, there are circumstances in which the sound can be really way ahead of where you would expect it to be. Mm. And at all times, the, the timbral quality of the voice is like, right here right up on a microphone right <laughs> and so we don't have all these other aural signifiers sure. that we're in a large space mm -hmm. right because you could definitely make music with somebody 30 feet away yeah and you know rough estimate if that's about 30 millisecond delay it's not quite that but mm. but if that's about a 30 millisecond delay there would be all these other cues that it's like that's someone far <laughs> and i'm going to change the way i perform because of their distance yeah um so yeah that, that's a very long way around saying the magic number is 
kind of 20 milliseconds. That's what we tend to aim for. Um, lower than that is completely reasonable. And, you know, we hit lower than that all the time, just in our daily practice. And what was the moment where you first experienced the platform that you have become such an expert in using all the time in your practice now? When you first had that experience, what was it like for you? Can you remember where you were? You know, how did you find that as well? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, so first of all, I would say I'm a huge I mean, I, I certainly know a lot about it and I feel like I can use well and I've like written a bunch of guides and workflows and and suggestions for for how to uh, best take advantage of the uh, Soundjack platform. Um, so Soundjack is uh, an app and a website that uh, was designed. It's the the brainchild of uh, Dr. Alexander Corot. Um and he actually put it together in the mid 2000s. This was part of his doctoral dissertation. So like, that's a whole interesting thing to talk about, which is like, this is not new technology. Um, a lot of the things we use that make it work better, you know, better distribution of fiber optic networks, cheap audio interfaces that sort of accidentally have very low latency internally. Like th there's a lot of other stuff that kind of grew up around it, but it's actually like, he's been, waiting <laughs> I think more than anything um, but there are a lot of other platforms out there that people are using so like, I would never be the guy that's like well Soundjack now Soundjack forever uh, even though I love it and think it solves it certainly solves all of my problems um, but you know Jacktrip is out there and being actively developed there are um, two platforms that I think are a little less robust but still useful in the ways they're useful called Jam Kazam and Jamulus um, there's new ones coming out. Um, Sonobus looks really interesting, I think. There's one mm -hmm. called Quack Trip, which like seriously is its name. Um, but it's like a more simplified implementation of um, Jack Trip. Um, and, and then several of these also come in, like the, they'll be the standalone app form, which is like, I'll have it on my computer, you'll have it on your computer, and we'll, we'll make merry together, right? Um, but there are a number of them that also exist as plugins. So if you have a digital audio workstation like Logic or Cubase or whatnot, um, you can actually use these to, to route audio low mm -hmm. latency as well. So it, it's a, anybody who is interested in looking at this field sort of beyond solving their own immediate crisis issues. There's a, there's a lot and it's really fun. And the people who are involved are like crazy maverick pioneers yes. and they're just cool human beings. So like, I, I would recommend go in with both feet, go ahead, just jump in. Yeah. Um, I, I want to say it was like May maybe like okay. we had to get through the semester. And mm. so, you know, I was on clean feed with as many students as I could and on, Jitsi meet with as many students as I could at the time because those were sort of my best solutions that I was using um, on Zoom with some students. Like even toward the end of the spring semester, I had some students who like for the life of them could not get an Ethernet cable in their life or couldn't get a better <laughs> microphone than the built-in microphone on their, their laptop. I've got a right? lot of those, Ian. <laughs> I know. Well, and so this this comes to values and what you choose to require of people, right? Um and obviously what they're capable of, of providing um, sure. when you put it to them that way. So yeah. that's a whole other discussion that's worth yeah, having. Yeah, but I want to say it was May, and we started messing around 
a, a group of us started, and, and Kayla Gautreaux, who's my assistant vocal pedagogy director at New England Conservatory and also my, my lab um, voice and sound analysis lab manager and a research mentor for our, our graduate students, and I put in a lot of hours. Theodora Nestorova is one of my, my graduate students, put in a lot of time with this as well. And, um, you know, my, my goal was kind of like a move fast, even if it fails a little bit approach, mm -hmm. because I felt like the world that I was, <clears throat> excuse me, the world that I was actually a part of, which is like this music making, music education, high level singing, but also community level uh, singing, teaching community that I am a part of and love and like want to help. Mm. Um, I feel like they one everybody was just going out of their mind dealing with their daily lives mm -hmm. and two nobody had the time to really do any research so it's like all these drawbridges got pulled up and it's like whatever i have now this is what i'm going to use i don't need new ideas i don't want anybody to be making arguments for i should change i'm like okay i'm just going to play a bunch of audio files like, I'm going to put up video files of this stuff working just so you can experience it. Mm. Um, because I, it just seemed to me that, that this was a time for just to get people to kind of emotionally respond to what could work. Yes. Even if that meant, like, then when they sat down four months later to read a paper about it, that would be a second data point, right? Sure. They would have already been like, wow, that's strange. How did you guys sing a trio? Um, mm. And so, you know, I, I put a bunch of media up in various Facebook outlets that seem to disseminate it well and um, just made proofs of concept sort of over May and into June um, and into July and you know I have, if if page views matter I mean we're talking like 15 20,000 views of these videos on Facebook we're talking um, I want to say there's a total of about 60,000 unique page views for all these various documents and work-throughs that I've done on my own website. I'd Incredible. have to check the stats, but... About 50,000 so of those are me. <laughs> Going, where did I refresh, get to? Refresh, he, he, refresh, refresh. He wants me to put which cable in what? I know, right? <laughs> Which port on my router? <laughs> <laughs> the LAN port. But you found it. I did. You did. You know, it's great. Um, so, I, you know, it was kind of over the summer, and, and then... Once it started working well, and we had a command, you know, we, we kind of did the unsexy things because I, I, I'm, I'm grateful. My, my institution gave me some financial support. Like once I demonstrated like, hey, this is a thing that even though other people are not pushing it, like maybe we should be the ones who push this, right? This really seems mm. to solve a problem mm. that is a problem for a lot of our students. And um, so I was fortunate. I, I received a, a small amount of financial support for it. And I was like, we have to do the unsexy thing. Like now what we need to do is we need to buy a bunch of really cheap interfaces and test them all. And we need to buy a bunch of different headphones and see what headphones you can wear and still hear yourself sing in the room. You know, it, and, and we have to start investing in Raspberry Pi computers mm -hmm. and figure out how to sort of best build and implement and distribute those things and then come up with educational material to like teach people how to it's like this was all the boring stuff but 
I think it was juice. vital. It's the juice. It's, it's exactly without it. that, we 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 can't make it accessible to 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 everybody. And and probably at this point, people are zoning out, going raspberry pies or well, what is you know it? what, what is that? So, so let's just talk a little bit about okay. I'm intrigued, Ian. Uh, I've been, you know, I've been sticking, let's imagine a listener who's, you know, they've been sticking vehemently to Zoom, that they can't wait till it's all over, yeah. um, and, and they're managing it as best as they can, and they're finding other creative solutions. If they want to embrace this, what's the physical setup? What do they need? What's the kit? Talk them through that and what that might look like in their studio. I understand the attractiveness of that question and wanting a discreet answer. <laughs> I'm going to say first out of the gate, teacher who is out there using Zoom and and comfortable with it and you feel like you're improving the lives of your students, you keep using Zoom. You're doing an awesome job and don't let anybody tell you that you need to spend a ton of money just to make a, a positive impact in the lives of others. Um, I think uh, to some extent it comes down to how long you imagine this is going to go on for. And and I feel like we, we're, we're all really used to this idea of like magical thinking having no actual power, right? It's like, oh, I'm going to make her fall in love with me with my magical thinking. But like it, that doesn't actually happen, right? Um, but I, f I feel like we're at this weird point where like magical thinking is actually like impacting national policy, mm -hmm. right? So it's like if people believe for example, that the the SARS-CoV-2 virus is a hoax, right? Which, just for the record, it is not. It is a real thing. Um, if people believe it's a hoax, their behavior is going to impact mm. how long the pandemic lasts, right? Mm. And yeah. so we're at this weird place where, you know, if I, gosh, I saw this meme on Facebook the other day where it was something like, if you think the coming government restrictions are going to cur curtail your physical activities in the world, you're the reason we need <laughs> greater mm. government restrictions, right? Mm. Um, so I would say everything I'm about to say in terms of like cost or this piece of equipment or that piece of equipment, or yeah. even is it worth, you know, changing your internet service, for example, it's like all of these things, everyone needs to think of them out of the context of the immediate present moment. Like, take your mind out of last week and next week and put your mind into how long it has been since March 13th. And I haven't counted recently, but I want to say it's probably been 264 days, something like that. Okay, well done. Right. Well, I've, I've been tallying, but I've been off I've been off for a couple of days, right? I haven't looked. Um, maybe that, that can be like a participant prize. If somebody guesses <laughs> yes. it correctly, we'll give them a prize or something. Yes, leave a um, comment below. Yeah, leave a comment below. Um, but, you know, 260 days, even if it's just 260 days, that's a long time. Like, what if you put aside, you know, so I'm an, I'm an American, what if we put aside $1 a day, right? That's $260 of professional development investment. Mm. Like, if I'm going to take voice lessons over the course of 260 days, am I not going to spend a dollar like that? It the amount of time that this has already gone on, it just really begs the question of like, well, how much longer does this have to go on before you just want now to be better, right? Versus being in a perpetual holding pattern for when you imagine, and again, this is where the magical thinking comes in, when you imagine everything is going to go back to normal. Um, I should say I'm not a medical expert, but everything that I read, like the spread of the vaccines, 
my God, what a miracle of science. Yes. I feel like best case scenario, we're going to get part of the way back to where we were, mm. like over the course of the summer. And then there's going to be another winter. Mm. Right. And and so, you know, I, I feel like if one's emotional posture to the challenges of this moment are we just need to wait this out. Um, I, I just feel like we would never do that with our automobile maintenance. Right. Absolutely. It, it, like mm. I would still get my boiler cleaned out in my basement. Mm -hmm. Right. There, there's mm -hmm. just things we have to do to keep doing the things that we want to do. Yeah. Um, so that's that's kind of the broad context for thinking about what the cost of any kit or equipment might be. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I would say everybody who wants to do low latency audio transmission, first of all, figure out whether you need it or not. Um, my personal philosophy with all technology is everything should be as fast as is necessary and no faster and as high quality as is necessary and no higher quality. Mm. because every millisecond costs you something if it's effort if it's technology if it's financial every kilobit per second costs you something again could be financial or just your own education the amount of time it takes to gain proficiency um, so for example i run weekly studio classes at uh, new england conservatory for my personal applied voice studio and we actually use a combination of sound jack and zoom because only the singer and the pianist need to be in real time with each other. Mm -hmm. And everybody else in the class does not. And even though Zoom in high fidelity music mode is still sort of a, a lower bit rate, it's a lower quality audio than Soundcheck can transmit or that clean, clean Feed's gorgeous, right? That Clean Feed can transmit. The fact that Zoom allows us to scale, like I could have 50 participants in my studio class, like listening and consuming it, um, makes that the right tool. So, so I, Everybody just needs to get in their mind, like really think through what are my musical interactions and what kind of latency do I need? Not what kind of latency is possible. There isn't automatic value in being able to make real-time music. But in the circumstances where there is value in making real-time music, my God, let's make it happen, right? Mm. So everybody needs a microphone, an audio interface, a computer of some sort, an internet connection of some sort, headphones and a little bit of will to learn something new yeah um i will say you asked this before and we kind of moved past it i remember exactly where i was the first time that i experienced this i was in the living room on the first floor of my house here in winchester massachusetts it's a little suburb north of, of the boston metro area and um i was standing in front of my 1886 steinway upright piano that was my dad's and his dad's before him and like this ancient beast of a piece of wood and metal was sort of in front of me and i had my laptop this laptop we're on right now on top of this upright it's a vertical grand piano and it was covered in wires that its creators never could have imagined would have existed right all these <laughs> ethernet things and plugs and microphone cables and like yeah. um and so i was just i was dumbstruck with sort of the the ancient quality of the thing we were doing mm. the fact that i was able to play ba 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 on the piano mm -hmm. and i think it was theodora it was maybe the first time in i don't know her her parents house 30 miles away was able to sing in time with me um, just the immensity of everything that had to take place between the construction of that piano <laughs> and uh, that yeah. moment where, you know, 
it traveled through time and space to arrive there for that experience, right? Um, and I, I just openly wept. <laughs> like, how do you not? <laughs> you know, we had we had this thing just like torn from us, and the and and it's the thing that you, it's the thing you never imagined was important, right? How could it occur to you mm. that being able to make music simultaneously would ever be taken away? Yes. And suddenly there it was, and we could do it, right? Yeah. Um, and then at that point we were like, oh. God, more people need to know about this. Like we, we felt Absolutely. like we had this secret. I even, I, I mean, I talked to my my grad student about it. I was like, there will maybe be one more time in your life where you are a part of something mm. that is so obviously going to have an impact on the lives of others, and they don't know it yet. Incredible. I was like, this is the last one for me. I don't I've get got another goosebumps. one. <laughs> Well, and I know I've had goosebumps basically since like May, right? like nonstop goosebumps. Absolutely. Um, so if we think about, sorry, I, that was a little excursion, but if we think back to the, the kit question, mm. any one of those parts can either add time or reduce transit time, right? Yeah. So if you have wireless headphones, for example, that is that introduces a necessary delay just because of the nature of the technology. Have to have wired headphones. If you have Wi-Fi, that is going to introduce a delay, interestingly enough, because of something called network jitter, which is to say um, the way that data is transmitted over networks, uh, it's actually kind of brilliant. It's, it's not super efficient for audio. Um, but in terms of like protecting civilization, it's a pretty great move um, because what they do is they you split the data up into packets. It's like little baskets full of data, mm. and then those baskets get sent as individual little chunks, and then it's reassembled on the other end. And actually, we we send data over our commercial internet through what's called a distributed network system, and and so there are any number of ways you could be routed. It's like a highway system, right? Mm, mm. Um, so, for it's like example... An, it's like an Amazon delivery. Or it not, is. Not all parcels will be arriving at the same time on the same day it absolutely with is. the same chap. So <laughs> it's, it's actually funny you bring up Amazon because that, Amazon is how I explain um, buffers when we think about how some of these platforms work because it's like, well, do you want one truck every minute with one package on it? And then every package gets there very fast, but you're in trouble if a truck is a little bit late. Mm -hmm. um, or do you wait until 10 packages get on a truck and then you don't need as many trucks, but you just have to wait that initial delay for the first truck to get there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, right. so there's all these ways of thinking about it, right? But So if, if you're using Wi-Fi, you're going to have increased network jitter, which is to say variability of the transit time. And then the problem is you have to set your platform slow enough to accommodate the slowest transmission of information and on wi-fi that can just be a huge range is the problem your computer the the central processing unit has to be of a certain quality like you have to have a certain number of cores it has to have a certain strength um and, and what's the number of the core so everyone who knows their core you know yeah. their core processing power on their computer will now be leaning in <laughs> have i got a powerful enough computer yeah, what's so the magic at, number ian we're at this crazy transitional moment where I, I a little bit I don't know because I don't have an M1 chip Apple product yet. Okay. So I'm going to try to get one as soon as I can just so I can test, test it. it. Yeah. Because the low-end MacBook Air with the M1 chip now has eight cores by default. Mm. But they're the M1 cores and I'm, I'm only familiar with the Intel cores in terms of their performance so I just don't know. Um, 
by contrast, the top of the line MacBook Air for the Intel line only has four cores, right? So like Apple has done this like quantum leap forward in terms of the actual quality of their tech. So a little bit I'm like, eh, I don't know. I'll let you know in a month. Um, but with the Intel line of chips, um, what seems to be true is if you actually want low latency connections, so this is not like, oh, I set everything up and I successfully made a connection to somebody. This is like, I'm going to do work and I want to connect to my pianist and also to a saxophone player and we're all going to be below 20 milliseconds and able to function, right? Yeah, yeah. So it, something like Soundtrack, it will work on Wi-Fi, right? You just can't drill it down low enough because the 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 network chitter is too high. So similarly, you can connect on a two-core MacBook Air to Soundjack. It just won't let you drill down and get really high quality at low latencies. Yeah. So the dividing line seems to be an i7 four-core processor. Okay. So if, if you have a four-core, or it's commonly called a quad-core yeah. um, processor, that's an i7 chip or the equivalent, you'll, you'll do fine. Um, more cores is better, Great. essentially. Um, and there's an interaction with how far you are trying to go and what the quality of your network is as well. So essentially, like if you're on, if I'm on Fios and you're on Fios or whatever the fiber equivalent is, um, and you don't have to go over a great distance, then you can actually run your computer cooler and still get the same low latency results. Mm. If you're on really bad cable and I'm mm. on really bad cable and we're we're right we're like 600 miles apart or something um, then it's probable that you're going to be pushing your computer so hard just to overcome the network limitations that you're going to start wanting a more powerful computer so there's a, a complex way in which all these things are related but the, the rule of thumb tends to be a four core processor or higher um, and the fun thing is so this is the the Raspberry Pi, which, you know, a lot of people out there are like, well, that sounds delicious, right? So a, a Raspberry <laughs> Pi is a, a microcomputer. It's like a credit card size little computing board that has USB ports and an Ethernet network jack and a power plug and HDMI plugs. There's a number of different kinds of them. The most powerful one is called the Raspberry Pi 4B. And actually, they just came out with a new one, which I, I don't have yet. So I'm excited to get into that. Um, but they're not very expensive, like 35 or 40 bucks. And you can either buy a completely assembled version of this. So this is like the core um, Raspberry Pi computer card, which is in it has integrated CPU, integrated graphics card. It's a very simple computer. It's like what you give to your kids to play Minecraft or like if your fifth grader is learning Python or something. Yeah. Um, you can either buy from Simonix.com a completely assembled one that has an operating system that is dedicated to only running Soundjack already pre-installed on it, or you can buy all the parts. And, you know, it ends up being cheaper to buy all the parts, um, but, you know, then you need to have a little bit of comfort with the idea that you're actually going to assemble a computer. It sounds harder than it is. It's eight screws, and then you have to click one board into another board. I literally have a video of myself doing this while my infant Gabriel was asleep in a uh, carrier on my chest, right? And my <laughs> six-year-old has built one of these. It's like, this is doable. It's literally eight screws, two boards that you click together, and then you put a top on a case. You're almost making me want one for Christmas now. They're great, and they're <laughs> cute. Look how cute they are, right? Well, I, no, I've got, I've, I've got one that was made earlier, but not by my own fair hands. But not by, yeah, yeah. I've you, got so the you should fast do it. music box. That's, yeah. that's what I went for, because I, my, my computer was not going to be 
strong enough, powerful enough for me to do all the other things that I want to do when I'm teaching. Amen. So I went for the fast music box that would just come in its little package, plug and play, off we go. And off you go. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and it's remarkably cheap. Like, that's the thing, is if you're, mm. for the amount of money that it would take to purchase an equivalent MacBook Air six months ago before yeah. the M1 chips came out, yeah. um, th this is a quad-core processor in the Fast Music box, right? And so for the amount of money it costs to buy one of these Fast Music box boxes compared to an equivalent MacBook Air, like, you could buy four fast music boxes with audio interfaces included yeah right it's just the the economy of it boggles the mind and it's yeah like an eight core i7 or i9 imac is going to be better if you can afford that definitely go do that um but this is this is not a compromise like this this no. little fast music box is actually better than what most people have mm. um so it's don't tell Christian Herner. I don't want him to charge more for it. But, you know, it's just, it's a really good solution, <laughs> right? It's a really good affordable solution. And Christian's great. It's great to bring in Christian there because, so yep. I had a slight issue. I think I brought it to you and you said, go to Christian, ask yeah. him. He, he, he's, the, he's the guy. And, you know, people like Alex, who's created Soundjack, and Christian, who's created the Fast Music Box, they are so accessible to people. If you, and mm -hmm. they're so on board with helping and communicating and troubleshooting and fixing bugs. So if you find something, go to the Facebook communities in Soundjack, say, I'm having this issue. And generally, it'll be Alex that will respond to you. And say, well, that's because you're not doing X, Y, or Z. Or, oh, hang on a second, that's weird. Are you? When did you do that? Let me go and check something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that it, it, it's, I mean, that is the other thing to keep in mind is like, there is not, there is not a product out there that is the equivalent of FaceTime. And by that, I mean, that is like single purposed and sort of end to end simplified and will generally just work 100% of the time without you having to think about it, right? Like that's the level where technology becomes magic. Sure. Um, but there are a lot of compromises baked into that. So like the basic premise of low latency technology is um, like the, the analogy that I like is if you're using iMovie on a Mac Pro, which you wouldn't, you'd use something nicer, but if you're using iMovie on a Mac Pro, it would get the job done a lot faster than your MacBook Air your MacBook Air is still going to work. Yeah. It'll just take a long time, yeah. right? Soundjack doesn't work that way. Soundjack is happy to have your computer break, right? It's happy to crash mm. um, because then the art is you figure out exactly how hard you can push it and that's the fastest you can go, Sure. right? But we sure. actually want that ability. Mm. Um, and so, you know, there, there is a, I would say the Soundjack community and, and certainly, you know, the Jack Trip and Sonobus communities which are in my mind the other really viable options out there like it's not tinkerers right it's not like hobbyists that are driving it it's a lot of really serious people mm. who are using it in professional situations mm. but there is this quality of like yes the developer is available and you can call them and be like you know what there was an update and now this thing is like goofy and nine times out of ten you're right he'll be like oh oops boop you know and he'll like you know just change a setting and 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 set it all back to normal so and there that's is amazing this, it, it is it is it really is because I, I feel like we're all we're all going to go into the spring semester with like a really solid command of 
of how it works and like what its core principles are right and like it's not a finished product like it's still evolving and it's still its capacities are sort of limited to an extent by our imaginations more than by network capacity sure you know we're doing all these multi-channel like live recording sessions now we're doing like real-time broadcasts um some of my colleagues, Joshua Glasner and, and Nicholas Perna, especially, are using the open broadcasting software, OBS, to pull live lab feeds and soundjack feeds simultaneously. They have students that Amazing. have done degree recitals live on YouTube using this technology, and the pianist is in a different room. Um, you it's know, it's incredible. like we're we're just getting started on a lot of this stuff. Yeah, it's incredible. So, so to sort of summarize where we are so far, you've given us a fantastic argument for the amount of cost that uh we might have to endure but actually it's all about context and perspective and how we think about that and what that means to us and what that could open up as a possibility we've got the fact that we need an ethernet a hardwired ethernet connection so you need a cable going straight into your computer and you need a router and you need a you need a sorry i, I pronounce it router, router because I'm, yeah. yes i'm sorry <laughs> 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 okay. and um and you need headphones and you need an audio interface which will um, take the sound signal from your microphone and put, put it into the computer for you. Yeah. We need these things, all of these things, and each of them will shave off a little bit of the latency. And, and people should read the fantastic guides that you have written, which must have taken you hours. I mean, and hours and days and day. I mean, it is just phenomenal i mean quite frankly thank goodness there was a pandemic going on so that you could just <laughs> hold yourself up with you know 15 bits of equipment and test them for days and days and days i, I imagine that's what was happening it's I mean, not how i wanted to spend 2020 but that is exactly what happened and you have a young family too i mean it's yeah. it, 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 it it is phenomenal and the detail that you go into within the guides you know people must we we will put a link to them in the show notes and um, anybody that's interested you you really must just go and just sit down not with a large gin <laughs> with a large <laughs> cup of coffee and yeah. and just slowly work your way through it and then actually just begin just go okay I'm gonna order this stuff if I haven't got an interface I'm gonna see what the tests show as something that would work with the other equipment I use and just go for one and do the same with any any other aspects of the equipment that you need to get and then just start working your way through okay first step is i need to plug this thing into my router and, yeah. and get a, a, a hardware connection okay now i need to you know and it is it is as simple as that and i think um we can easily get into overwhelm particularly with what's been happening obviously globally um but in a way, this is a welcome distraction for, from all of that as well. It can, be, it can be a lovely focus and a project as well. That's how I approached it. I thought, okay, <laughs> I'm either going to go in total overwhelm here because <laughs> I am not, you know, I'm a theatre school gal. I'm, I, I'm a five, six, seven, eight, and that's as high as we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. so, you know, uh, but, but I just had to be brave and, uh, and, okay, let's just see how far I can get on my own. And if I need to shout help, then that's, that's cool too. Um, so yeah, your writing guides, you know, that, that they are so, 
um, usable when you when you just take the time to sit down and, and, and to start uh, applying. And uh, and so, in terms of resistance and yeah. and, and resistance that people might have experienced, I would urge them if they feel that their teaching or their learning, uh, their music making would be enhanced, which it, it, of course it would be, to be able to, to have that experience. I, I mean, when I first experienced it, it, it was just so magical. I was just like, yeah. oh, I, 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 I. and you didn't really, you know, I, I, I thought Zoom was okay. I didn't, but I just didn't realize, actually, it is a different world. That's yeah. why we all get so exhausted on Zoom, because our brain is constantly having to, you know, deal with that little backwards and forwards, trying to work it out. I'm not really in the same room with this person, am I? But yeah, I mean, it's essentially the delay equivalent to an American football field. Wow. I mean, that's the, that's, that, that's the equivalent acoustic distance for the propagation of a sound wave. Wow. For what Zoom does. And how could anybody be comfortable with that? That's not a normal way to talk to somebody. No, absolutely. And okay, as you said in our um, pre-interview conversation, which did make me raw, um, <laughs> you know, low-tech low uh, music making is, is not FaceTime. <laughs> it's Logic Pro X. It's Logic Pro X, yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> it Which really I want is. to get on a t-shirt for you. <laughs> or Photoshop or something. It's it's something you should, it's a tool, like, mm. but, but don't expect it to just work when you pop open the box. Like, that's just not, that's not the point. And, and Alex, I've heard Alex say this in interviews, I don't think it ever will. Mm. Like, I, I don't think we're going to, we, we may have more functions within the same box. So, you know, for example, uh, if you use a, a Raspberry Pi fast music box, there's an expansion port on it uh, that you can sort of click in uh, additional cards, like computer cards that are, are built to click into that expansion port. And, you know, there are audio interfaces for the Raspberry Pi that are sort of getting better and better, right? And and it's it's honestly, it's conceivable you could spend between $150 and $170 buying the parts and licensing the software to build a Raspberry Pi fast music box. And you could spend $13 or $20 on a cheap audio interface hat that you can pop onto this expansion port and then put, um, you know, a not so great sort of gaming headset microphone and plug it directly into that sound card and you're off to the races and that's an incredibly cheap solution that's mm. probably like 250 260 dollars out the door it wouldn't sound great like i wouldn't use it for my conservatory students um but i think there are situations in which that sort of thing is absolutely indicated indeed um you know and and the you know the, the out the door cost for somebody who wants to have a quality experience is you know if you get like a a focus right Scarlet Solo or Scarlet 2i2, that's a really good uh, external audio interface to use with a fast music box, plus a fast music box, plus a reasonable microphone and reasonable headphones. Like, still, you're under four or $500 total. Yeah, yeah. Which, 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 if this even lasts a year total, and this is clearly going to last longer than a year mm. since March 13th, right? Mm -hmm. If this yeah. lasts even just a year, that's not an unreasonable amount of money to invest to be able to participate in real time music making with other people the the other thing be, because we talk about limitations and and this is where resistance hits almost immediately where where people 
want something that the tech is not good at yet is solving the the problem of of choral ensembles how do you get 20 people doing this simultaneously right and that's a real challenge because if you if you have all peer-to-peer connections which is to say if it's you and me we have i connect to you you connect to me but if we add the bass player literally i connect to you and i connect to the bass player you connect to me and you connect to the bass player and likewise the bass player connects to both of us so each of us technically has two peer-to-peer connections that's Mm -hmm. double the cpu load if we're a quartet everybody has three peer-to-peer connections a quintet four peer-to-peer connections and every one of those connections is an additional weight on the cpu of the computer that's running and there's an upper limit just based on processing power and the heat that it generates when it does it, right? And so for like a a trio, quartet, quintet, like this is workable with a single computer with all peer-to-peer. What JackTrip is doing in a beta capacity at this point, but there's been some really good proofs of concept. People are excited about it. What SoundJack is doing right now also in a beta context, but there's really good proofs of concept and people are are into it, is this idea of, uh, Alex calls it a mix server. So the idea is that everybody connects only to one server computer, which is actually not unlike Zoom, right? And then what the server would do is it feeds everybody's signal back to you except your own. Oh, great. And so provided everybody is close enough to the server and the server is fast enough and everybody's internet connections are fast enough, you're kind of limited by by the server's capacity at that point. So one of the things like, so in December and January, sort of where I'm putting research energy and a number of other people are doing this as well. Like this is all Alex's work, but I'm just trying to, trying to grasp it so Mm. that then I can write about it to try to get other people to grasp it as well. Um, we're just going to get a bunch of Amazon web servers like up and down the East coast of the United States and try to facilitate people with lower powered computers or people who want to have more participants simultaneously connecting Mm. to be able to essentially use SoundJack to dial in. And then they have one connection that feeds them everybody's voices simultaneously. Um, So I, I think like that's what's next. That's the next thing. And actually, in terms of resistance to people getting on board with it, I think it addresses the most pressing concern that we we were just like all fall long. We were like, can we please just be happy that we can do voice lessons again and also like pull in the singer? I'm sorry we can't do choirs yet. Um, but I think I think being able to do choirs or jazz bands that are larger than four members is sort of what's what's really next on the horizon. That's what's Amazing. exciting. So that's the future. Sure. The immediate future. <laughs> like, the yeah. immediate future. Let's go back in time a little now cool in in terms of your career because i'm also fascinated by how you got here too your work in acoustics is 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 well known and uh, and revered by your peers but you started out as a singer as a countertenor talk to us about your transition from performer to voice researcher and uh, and teacher because something happened to you didn't it that instigated uh-huh. that career transition earlier than you thought might be the case yeah. Um, I feel like I've had a lot of different careers and a lot of different identities. And like, I'm not sure 23-year-old Ian would really like recognize 45-year-old Ian. Um, and 45-year-old Ian certainly looks back at 23-year-old Ian and is like, wow, you really thought you knew the way things worked and you were completely wrong about basically everything. Um, I, I was a performer. That's really all that I ever wanted to do. Um, my main ambition was to uh 
perform as a percussionist and as a vocalist. So my undergrad is actually my training is in percussion. I was always kind of good at a lot of things and never great at anything. So I, I ended up after college, I played steel drum basically for a living in like Calypso cover bands. Um, wow. And like that, that was, that was my thing. Right. So I, I played steel drum. Um, but then I, I got into Chanticleer, which is a, a West coast American um, choral ensemble when I was about 25 and I stuck with them through 29 and that experience, like I, I certainly got touring out of my system. Like I went all over the world and sang a couple hundred concerts a year, maybe. Um, and then I decided I really wanted to like dig in and, you know, get good as a soloist. And I knew I needed to like retrain my, my vocal techniques. It's kind of a different bear from what we were doing in, in Chanticleer. And I, was fortunate. I got into Yale right when they started their early music track for a graduate program. And so I, I went to Yale and then I spent the next, I don't know, 12 years after that, um, just being a Baroque soloist and singing a lot of concert work and ensemble, small ensemble work and, and some opera as well when it was appropriate. Um, but I, I hit this point where I was like, man, it is taking longer to warm up before concerts and it is taking longer to recover after concerts right mm. and um it, it was just interesting like i i think none of us ever think we're old enough to be part of like a generational transition in our field but i think i really i really was from this older world in the voice community where like you just take a couple days off and just mm. rest and you'll be fine mm. and if that doesn't fix it you weren't cut out for this career anyway Oh wow! Um, mm. Yeah, and and so I didn't do anything about it, and it it basically it had to hit the point where I was having like a vocal crisis, and I was unable to warm up for concerts and unable to feel like I could do my job. That I finally went and saw, um, you know, something somebody better trained than just like a community ENT, sure. um, and I ended up in Dr. Sadloff's practice in Philadelphia, and was diagnosed with a. a paresis of my left superior laryngeal nerve and apparently for like years my right fold had been um pushing past midline to make closure with my left fold okay. because they weren't able to respond at the same speed sure. essentially because there was a, a degraded uh, electrical current coming through that nerve yeah um and you know fortunately i i met up with um peggy baruti margaret baruti um who was the singing voice specialist and, and voice uh, rehabilitator at Sadloff's practice at the time. And like, I swear to God, she gave me like another 10 years of a singing career. Um, and she was, she's like, she's from the South and she just has this way of talking. And, and she was like, well, you have this paresis and we can't do anything about that. And maybe it'll heal and maybe it won't. But fortunately, there's enough wrong with your technique that we're just going to fix that instead. <laughs> and like I was, at that moment, I was like, you are my new voice mother. Like, I'm just going to stick with you. Um, and, she, and she did. She's brilliant and sort of coaxed my voice back to a balance. Um, and I, like I said, I was able to get like another 10 years out of it. There was like over time, it, it became clear. And again, in consultation with other with other um, laryngologists, like I just have this thinning of my vocal fold uh, SLP, and it's or my uh, yeah of my vocal fold SLP, and it's like there's nothing to do about it. Mm -hmm. And and once I hit the point where um, 
it was a, a physician at the Mass Eye and Ear Infirmary here in Boston, where he said, well, you have one of two options. You can either get injections every six months yeah. or, you know, you mm-hmm. should think about some other things you could do with your life and your voice. Mm. Um, you know, I kind of had to sit with that for a little bit, but like, fortunately, as soon as I had that, that initial like paresis diagnosis and kind of had to react to that and, and retool my voice earlier on, I just became voraciously interested in science-informed voice pedagogy. And it just became a focus and I read as much as I could and I ran an online journal for two years and it like it just hit the point where it was obvious that I was really interested in that and that the actual performing career wasn't as intellectually stimulating as I think my brain needed. Yeah. That, you know, I made a plan, it unfolded over the course of a couple of years, but I ended up applying to doctoral programs and I started a doctorate and, you know, was able to sort of um work through ideas that I wanted within an environment that had some support and also I was being educated in some other ways that ended up being very important to me. Um, and I was fortunate. I moved into a job at the New England Conservatory as I was a doctoral student there. Like they saw my potential and sort of some specialty skills that I brought. And so I was, I was fortunate to be nurtured in that way as well. Um, and so by the time I had this conversation with the laryngologist at the Mass Eye and Ear Infirmary, And he basically said, you know, we can give you injections directly in your vocal folds every six months. And then even that won't be perfect, but it'll like let you limp through your gigs. I was like, you know what? Maybe the universe is telling me where I should be putting my energy. Absolutely. I loved teaching. I loved researching. I loved being on that side of it. And and in a lot of ways, I don't know, it is cheesy to say, but I feel like I have the best job because I get to interact with people who want to go down all the various paths that I feel like I've gone down in my life in, in different percentages. So I feel like I can really interact with my performance ambition students and really talk to them about what it is to get on a stage and make meaning with time and space for other people. And Mm -hmm. I feel like I can really talk to my research interested students and sort of nurture that side and, and give them all the ideas that I haven't found answers to yet. And also take what they're giving me and help sort of guide them, um, towards actual questions that they can ask. Um, so I, there, there's been a lot, and I'm sure anybody who's sustained a voice injury and especially a voice injury that has um, curtailed some part of their activities that was like integral to who they think they are. Mm. Like there was a lot of pain and it was terrible. And, and when I stopped, when I sort of actively stopped practicing for a performing career, like it's not that I don't sing, I sing all the time. Um, but when I, when I decided it was okay to put energy toward other things just on a day-to-day basis rather than the practice regimen I had before. Mm. Like, even though I knew I was reacting to very real circumstances outside of my control, it still felt like I was killing my voice. Like, wow. it still felt like it was something I was deciding to do yeah. Yeah. rather yeah. than something that I was I was just rationally Jeez. reacting to. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, so it's... It's never easy, but no. I can say there is a rich life on the other side of being a performer um, that I would never have gotten to experience had I not faced those challenges. Absolutely. And so much has been um, has been the fruit of that. And, 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 yeah. and it's about yeah. that, isn't it? it, it in, mm-hmm. in your career, if, if, if something is being signposted, you either... You, take yourself kicking and screaming or you Im- you embrace it and you 
believe that there is a, a, a whole new world, a brave new world <laughs> that you can um, open doors within and, uh, and give your energies to. And, and you've so clearly done that, embraced that. I think I'd go crazy otherwise. I mean, there, there's a, like, teaching is performance. Yes. Writing papers is performative. Presenting research at conferences is performative. Like, there's, there is this element to all of those activities that actually I feel like being a performer makes you better at. And it's not because, like, you can wear a snazzy suit, right? It's, it's just because you recognize that, like, you are responsible for taking somebody else through an experience. Mm. And that I, I feel like people who don't train as performers don't realize the, the sort of sacred boundaries of, of a theater. Yes. And, and what it is to, to not only have the, the proscenium and sort of the implied fourth wall, but also like the fifth wall, which is the one behind them at the back of the auditorium that's like cradling them into this space that you can do something with, right? Mm. Um, and so I, I, I don't, for, for me, it's, it's, it, uh, it all feels the same. It's just instead of singing Bach cantatas, I'm like talking about resonances and yes. network transmission <laughs> speeds. And what of the future of 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 your work? What what do you see there? Uh, I can't wait to stop doing all of this. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I want to I want to go back I want to go back to teaching people how to sing Bach cantatas because I think I'm really good at it. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and I enjoy it too. Uh, no, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm actually only a little bit joking when I say that. I, I think that this kind of technology, not everybody agrees with this statement yet. Um, and it's going to be really interesting. I, I feel like, I feel like if the restrictions that are particularly challenging for performers last for a certain amount of time, and then everything goes back to what we thought of as normal, we're literally going to go back to what we were doing. And I don't know what that duration is. Like, I, I have a number in my mind, but I don't want to say it out loud. Um, and I think if it goes on for longer than that, you know, if this is, let's say, four years, it won't be four years, but let's say four years passes, right? The world that emerges is going to be remade, right? Mm. The players that would even influence the direction of the music industry are going to be different humans. And they're going to have different values. They're going to be of a different age bracket. They're going to want to accomplish different things. And their basic assumptions about what technology is even available to use are going to be fundamentally different. There's a gray zone between everything is normal in January and nothing settles until 2024. I don't know what the tipping point is. And as distributed as the music industry is, it's probably going to be different for different sectors of the music industry. Um, my perception, though, is I think the low latency tech has really profound implications for professional and pre-professional workaday aspects of a music career. Because um, I, so I, I live in the Northeast, and I, I feel like there's a, a major highway interstate called I-95 that sort of goes all up and down the East Coast of the United States. And I feel like I've lived in almost every city along I-95 at some point in my life. <laughs> and um, the amount of time I've spent on that highway getting from one of those cities to another one of those cities for not a performance, but like to sit down with a conductor and sing through a score or to have a coaching or to have a voice lesson, like things like that, actually just the raw weight of the number of minutes it takes to do it. There's a lot more of that kind of activity in an average week of a performance career or pre-performance training career 
um, than the actual time you get up on stage where the audience is there and the immediacy and everybody, the sort of the being in the same roomness quality has to be there. And um, my graduate students are like super carbon footprint aware. I think in their minds, they're thinking, if I don't have to go to Manhattan to have this coaching with this person from the Met, why would I go to Manhattan to do that? I'm going to go to Manhattan for the rehearsals that start, right? But there's all these other things we can do. Um, and so it just depends. Like, if this goes on for long enough, I think enough schools are going to get on board that we have a generation of graduate students who are trained how to use it, and then they'll mm -hmm. go out into the world and expect it to be there. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's going to be voice teachers. Your, your listening base is probably largely, like a lot of voice teachers and music teachers, I think it's going to be coaches. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be rehearsal pianists. I think it's going to be repetiteurs. I think it's going to be the people who work with singers or violinists or whatever, who need to be making music simultaneously. I think it's going to be, you know, for our, we have a preparatory and continuing education division at the New England Conservatory, like, like a lot of uh, School, uh, music schools do a lot of conservatories do and we're able to run a bunch of high school jazz quartets with soundjack online right now in new england right um that sort of thing is actually eminently practical if mm, i were so an avocational adult right and i just wanted to play drums in a rock band if i can do that from my basement and like still get dinner on the table for my kids and like not have to pay for parking in downtown boston it's, it's like there's just there's ways in which beyond solving sort of immediate crisis now that i feel like we would be foolish to not take advantage of moving forward and so i i think in that respect i'll probably always be an advocate for or an evangelist for the existence of this kind of tech mm. um Honestly, I really miss being able to take airflow measurements of singers. Uh, before my lab closed down in March, um, we were doing really interesting work on uh, AFAB or female sex whistle register, and mm. we got really good at getting clean electroglottographic signals and clean airflow signals of these things and just sort of examining... Wow. Uh, sort of following up on Knox work and, and looking at like whether it's actually a normal pattern of vocal fold oscillation that just takes place extremely rapidly or if it's actually a separate laryngeal register. And I literally can't, I cannot put mm. a Glottal Enterprises flow mask on a singer right now, right? No, so like I'm desperate no. to get back to that stuff. Sure, sure. I think you've answered uh, one of the questions that one of our listeners put. So I sort of opened it out to our listeners to say, what would you like to ask Ian? And uh, Dan had the question that I thought really needed to be asked, which was to those who haven't ventured into this territory, who find the tech talk totally overwhelming, you know, who argue that the cost of a couple of hundred dollars is prohibitive, to the institutions even, you know, who are just not prepared to invest in this solution, what do we say to them? And actually, the way in which he worded it is, what would you say is the greatest hurdle between this emerging tech and its widespread adoption. And, and, it, and I guess in a way, um, what you're saying is, is that um, the demand will f for it will be there, that the experience has to be um, so commonplace. And we have to realize that it buys us back time, it buys us back life, it buys us back opportunity. It becomes a no brainer. We can yeah. work so fast and we can work so smart that there's more of life to have, not less of it. I, I concur. And I think, I mean, just to pick out one little part of that question to dwell on for a sec, 
I mean, the question of institutional response is a really interesting one because and i look at it from like you know high level conservatory perspective and sort of thinking about what our peer institutions are doing um in the united states but you know there's lots of we have lots of different types of educational institutions we have you know undergraduate and like liberal arts colleges we have state schools with sort of various funding um tiers um we have community colleges we have conservatories we have music departments within uh, major research institutions like there's a lot of different types of schools that might have some sort of performance program, either for majors or, or uh, non-majors, you know, whether you have professional aspirations or you're doing an actual degree in performance or not. Yes. There's a lot of people who perform in, in these types, types of environments. And again, I don't know what the duration is, but I would flip the question around and say, how long do you think your department of music can continue to not train musicians. And I know wow. that that's like a little stinging rebuke, right? But, but I think we have to ask ourselves, what are our core values as educators? And I'm not saying that any one educator is falling short if their institution will not fund their core values. But I think we have to be clear about what our core values are. And one of my core values and my colleagues' core values and my students' core values is there is something learned in the act of making music with another person. Yeah. That it is not, it is not the same to use backing tracks. No. It is not the same education. It is, it's, if you're, I know we all like to think that classical music is somehow as faithfully reproducing what a composer etched in stone on the piece of paper. And I think anybody who's had any sort of high level performance career in the industry knows that that's false, right? Mm. That, that it's a, it's a, a repertoire and a tradition that prizes essentially the creation of spontaneity and play yes. in real time. Yes. It just happens that there's a lot of prescribed information yeah. um, on the score. But the, the score is, a, it, it captures a series of, of mechanical motions to reproduce a sound. Like it's not, Schubert didn't make the sound when he wrote it down on a piece of paper. He was like, this is what a soprano should do, like to make this sound, right? Yeah. And then it's still up to the soprano. And um, so even though it might be more apparent in like uh, an overtly improvisation-based art form like jazz music, I think within even the classical genre, it is a play-based art form it is. and you learn something from interacting with a pianist and you learn something from interacting from learning how to interact with a pianist right mm -hmm. how to talk to one how to express a tempo change or an agogic accent or the use of rubato or the delineation of a phrase related moment a cadential figure or an onset or whatever you learn it by doing the music you don't talk about it ahead of time like music is a communicative act and you transmit information with the way that you perform and if the if the pianist recorded it two weeks ago it's it's just not the same mm. and i understand that there are challenges but i would say that if everything is back to normal in january for every institution jokes on me i put all this energy into it and i made my fall better and that that's fine and then i can't wait to i'm just everybody's just gonna hug everybody else gonna be terrible right um like when we're all in the same spaces again but I would say institutions should think about how long they reasonably think this is going to go on for. And if there's going to be any element of hybrid music education going on fall of 21, I think they can't afford to not utilize this kind of tech because I, 
brutally stated students are not going to enroll. I totally And agree. why would they? Why would they? Would you? Like, I wouldn't if I were a student here. And thank you for saying that because there are lots of practitioners out there who have gone to their institutions, they've asked for financial support, and it's not been forthcoming. Yeah. And the institutions need to take a look at themselves, and you're absolutely right. Y you're speaking into the listening that has to be um, held, really. So, you know, thank you for, for, for voicing and expressing that so well. It's, it, it's incredibly important. I mean, wouldn't it be amazing if the institutions went, okay, we are going to do this and, and, and we're going to allow it to affect our future, whatever that looks like. It does not have to be COVID related. It's yeah. merely the fact that, that COVID has uh, created the situation where we needed to find this solution and, and, and you and your, your colleagues have done so, but let's not throw that out. Uh, anytime soon because what it opens up and the possibilities it provides us with are so impactful they are enormous um, to be able to get a touring company together to do a read through yeah. or to start rehearsing together in real time before they have to go to their event you know whatever it is there are so many applications for it just to have slow learning to be able to have you know, three 20 minute lessons a week instead of one one hour long lesson mm. to be able to let works incubate for a longer period of time because you're not having to pay for a hotel room. It's like there are and, and if I can mix my metaphors clumsily, like I really think, you know, the the SARS-CoV-2 virus is going to be it's going to remain in the human reservoir, right? The, yes. the way that it's going to change is we're going to react differently to it as our immune systems all get primed by vaccines and it mm -hmm. becomes sort of transitions into less and, and less deadly versions of itself within the human reservoir. And I think that's what that's what low latency tech is going to be. There was a time before anybody would have been expected to learn Finale as a music student, right? And that's a technology that, you know, that or something like it, you know, Dorico or Sibelius or, or whatever, like people recognize they have to be able to to print up scores. There was a time before anybody needed to understand that there was such a thing as a MIDI keyboard. And like, we're past that because we see how relevant it is. And it's mm -hmm. not the most important thing, but it is a technological tool that we use. We, we just use it. Right. And so I think, I think low latency tech is going to be endemic in, in the music community. It's going to be something that just doesn't go away. It just gets easier and cheaper. Fantastic. Really, that's what's going to happen. So exciting. Um, Ian, I like to ask my guests on Vocalscope what would be the one voice they would love to be in the presence of and, and why? Which voice is that for you? Yeah, so I really like AFAB singers and I really like singer-songwriter, like pop-influenced singers. And so I think my two favorite vocalists, sort of hands down, are Emily Saliers from Indigo Girls and then Joni Mitchell. Mm. Um, but especially Joni Mitchell from Court and Spark. I don't know why. That's just one of my favorite albums out there. Um, and I, I just love these voices because there's something like honest and dirty about them. And they, they speak truths with their words that mm. align with the colors that they make in their, in their voice simultaneously. And, and there's also just uh, just a really high level of sort of constructed craft of the music that they make. Yes. Um, so I think, you know, 
I think the band that I've probably seen live the most, although it's been decades at this point, was Indigo Girls. Um, and I just loved Emily Saliers' voice. It's just it's a gift to humanity. And which Emily Saliers song or Indigo Girls song do you think we should listen to? Because we actually have a Spotify playlist of oh, and you can play pre stuff? previous vocal scope guests' songs. Of, you know, you've got to hear this. So what would be your go-to song that you would uh, recommend? Uh, that's hard because like from the really earlier output there's this great song called History of Us that kind of has this like impossibly glossy like early 90s production sheen to it so it sounds dated at this point but it's like it's just a it's a choice ballad um Fare Thee Well My Bright Star is again is just a beautiful like voice and guitar ballad recording but something like um um Mystery uh, which is a full Indigo Girls piece, so like Amy sings on it as well, but but Emily does does the lead. I feel like captures her sense of like you know yearning that's embedded into the harmonic language of the song, and also her own understanding of where her voice sounds urgent mm. and and not not strained, but like different parts of her voice sound you know different from one another because <laughs> she doesn't try to even everything out. How wonderful! Um, and yeah. I I also love. Uh, the first song title that you suggested for them, History of Us, because of that's us, yeah. so poignant for the conversation, what we're talking about. It's it, it is it's connected as well, isn't it? To it is to you know the history of us as 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 we were and the future that we're living into as worlds apart, universes <laughs> apart. No, I mean the uh, anybody who doesn't know the lyrics to that song, it's it's sort of about a trip she took to Europe, and it, as far as I can tell, like she just kind of like out of a Kurt Vonnegut novel, she just like stood there in the allness of it and was just like overwhelmed by parks and museums and like a village at nighttime. And and I think there is a, a lot, there's just like we're in the middle of an existential mm. crisis, right? Mm. Just as a community and as a world more broadly. And um, I think that there is a, there's a stillness in that song that mm. doesn't feel unfamiliar now, that mm. we're kind of just waiting and watching Yes. And trying to be aware of the texture of now. Yes, yes. For those interested in your acoustic work, you do expect to be running the acoustic vocal pedagogy workshop again, yeah. don't we'll you? We'll be doing the, I think we're calling it currently the acoustic vocal pedagogy online course. Because cool. it seems most likely that that is yeah, what is going to transpire. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be online. And we'll have, um, you know, that's with um, myself, obviously, the incredible Kenneth Bozeman. Um, leading the charge on the faculty, Chadley Ballantyne on the faculty as well, and we have a number of other guest faculty um, that come in and um, help us with content and with working with the students. We will be running a technology course of some sort. It's only December, so I don't know what technology will exist in May yet, mm. um, but it, it promises to be one of two things. Either I will teach you how to use Glottal Enterprise's airflow machines because we can use them again, or... Um, I will teach you whatever the current state of the art in um, online teaching technology is. Fantastic. And people can also visit ianhowellcountertenor.com for all of your fantastic papers published during the COVID era. You'll find, yeah, just click on the menu on that website um, and you'll find my soundtrack guides. You'll find a bunch of workflows. You'll find a bunch of sort of more philosophical essays about what is happening right now. Um, I'm working on a paper on Live Lab right now, for example. So that'll go up there soon as well. 
you've given so much to our community, Ian, and I just really want to finish by communicating to you because I hope that you feel it and that you know it, how positively you have affected our community. And I want to acknowledge you for all of that time and energy and love for our craft and how we appreciate that you have been a trailblazer. You have been our fearless leader and the gift to our, to our community and our art form is, is, is really phenomenal. So thank you from, for, from everybody who has been affected by your work so far and for those who don't even know it's about to affect and touch their lives. <laughs> thank you. I've something in my eye this is awkward Hold on, hold on. um I, I, that's really sweet of you to say and thank you and I, I would just say if anybody out there has been positively influenced by what i've done or what any of my colleagues have done please it is your responsibility to go teach somebody else how to do it Absolutely. or make a donation to your local community music school mm. like do something concrete that's lovely what a lovely way to end <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Juliet. Oh, one, two, three. Oh, it's the breath the travel, vocal, the vocal flow. Oh, it's the breath the travel, the vocal flow. Oh, it's the breath the travel, the vocal Oh, it's the breath the travel, the vocal flow. Oh, it's the breath the travel, the vocal flow.